Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. This morning we're in Genesis. We're going to be starting up in Genesis chapter 26. And I kind of, I looked at this and I'm trying to some, come, some, come up with something clever, you know, to kind of encapsulate where we're going. Because where we're going is into a whole lot of dysfunction and just sin. And yet, God's light shines through. God's promises prevail. He's preeminent in these chapters, and yet you go into this. Last week we were talking about uh, how we've been uh, woven or covered in our mother's womb, you know, and we talked about that loom of life that God builds our story on, and, and all the vertical threads are known as the warp. They're the warp threads, and life is built on warped threads. And so what we're going to see this morning is a whole lot of warp threads, and yet God is weaving His Son, Jesus Christ, the hope of salvation, the promise of deliverance and resurrection through this whole thing. So, I'm going to go pretty quick this morning. Uh, I'm not going to go into great detail, so follow along. Genesis chapter 26. There was a famine in the land, beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. You remember, there was a famine. Abraham went down to the Philistines. There was one, actually, originally that he went down to Egypt. Twice he went out of the promised land because of famine. Verse 2, Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commands, my statutes, and my laws. So... Isaac dwelt in Gerar. And we remember from previous studies, Gerar, he was living in the area of Hebron and Bathsheba, but he went down towards Egypt, but he stopped. And he stayed, he remained in the promised land. And that's one of the first things we see here. Abraham, even though he had the promise, left the promise. And because of that, bad things happened. Well, similar things going to happen to Isaac, like father, like son. Same song, second verse. A little bit louder, a little bit worse. And, you know, there's a thing, and people talk about, they call this a generational curse. That because your ancestors had this curse, and people will say like alcoholism or, or, or whatever, that you're going to get it too. And it's simply not supported in the Scriptures. There is no generational curse. Ezekiel tells us that the fathers are accountable to their own sins, the sons are accountable to theirs. You have to make... Uh, do with God on all those things. But we do see patterns. We do see family patterns develop. And a lot of times what we've seen our parents do, we follow suit for good or bad. 
And we're going to watch some of that. This is a warped story, remember? But God will tie it together, and he'll bring about his promises. But he told him, stay in the land where I can bless you. Stay in the promised land. So he did. He dwelt in Gerar. Verse 7. Then the men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, she is my sister. Where have we heard this before? Before, before. Not just once, but twice. For he was afraid to say, she is my wife, because he thought, lest the men in this place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass, when he had been there for a long time, that Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously, she's your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? Isaac said, because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. I could go into great detail on that, but honestly, been there, done that twice already. Okay? Why would God repeat this three times? Do you think sometimes we don't listen the first time or the second time? It's like a father talking to his son and trying to repeat this. Well, again, not good, not positive. It's warped. But in this, what I want us to look at and see is that, yes, God gave Abraham the promises, the promised land, the promised nation, the promised seed, beautiful, beautiful promises God gave Abraham. But now it's Isaac's turn. And Isaac is going to have to actually walk in those promises the same way his father had to walk in those promises. Abraham couldn't walk Isaac's walk for him. Isaac had to do it himself. If we get lucky and we get further on into this, we're going to see three generations this morning, and every single one of them is going to have to own God's promises, God's command, God's word, and live it out, flesh it out for themselves. It's something that's just, it's critically important in the health and life of a church that that next generation comes up and takes its place, that they get behind the driver's wheel, as I'm fond of saying, right? We'll give, give you the keys, you get it and drive it. Put it in the ditch, we'll call a tow truck. Put a dent in it, we got Bondo. But you need to get out and take this Christianity to yourself. You can't have your father's faith. And this is part of the lesson that we're going to see Isaac learn. It goes on, verse 12. <clears throat> then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. He told him, stay in the promised land, that's where I'll bless you. And he did, and he was blessed. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. What do you think God's trying to say here? Prosper, prospering, prosperous? There's blessing in obedience. There's blessing in God's promise. God doesn't mean to harm you. He, he does things for your good, okay? And, and that's, that's the whole message that Isaac needs to learn. If you will do what I ask you, you're going to receive what I promise you. It just, it's that simple. It says, verse 14, For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. These are the local 
Canaanite tribe living along the coast there, and they envied him. Why? Because he was doing so well. You know, it's funny how often that can happen. As, you, as a Christian, you start walking out your Christian faith, you do things just, fair balances, right, you, you pay your way honestly, you service your debts, you keep out of debt, you, uh, you, and, and, and you prosper, and, and people look at you and, and they get angry at you. Why are you doing so well? Well, because I don't squander my resources and my time on this stuff like I used to. And now God's promising, pro- prospering me. And they were envious of, of him. Verse 15, now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which the father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they filled them with earth. <sighs> that is, this is one of these things that just makes me scratch my head. Okay, so Abraham and his servants, when he was in Gerar, they dug wells. We studied that earlier. Again, just repeat, much of this chapter is repeats, but then they fill up the wells with dirt. Why? Why would you do that? Well, those wells were a source of blessing to Abraham, and they wanted to ruin his blessings. It wasn't enough that they didn't have them. They didn't want him to have them either. And it's just just so sad. So they fill these wells up with dirt. Verse 17, or I'm sorry, Filled him with her, 16, and Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. we he's doing so well. He's growing so large. They perceive him as a threat. He's not threatening anybody, but just because he's doing so well, they perceive him as a threat. And so they say, Leave us. Verse 17, Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. One of the things that's interesting in this story, if you remember the story of Abraham and his nephew Lot, remember that they got so prosperous in the land, they had to split because the land couldn't handle the flocks of both of them. And Abraham gave Lot his choice. Lot chose the well-watered plains of Sodom, right? That's a great place to go. And next thing you know, he's pitching his tent there. Then he's moving right outside the city. Then he's moving in the city. Next thing you know, he's a magistrate. He's sitting in the gates of the city. He's one of the big cheeses of the city. And for Lot, it just goes from bad to worse. Now here's Isaac, and he goes into the city, and that's the king spies him having affection with his wife and everything. And so they kick him out of the city. He has to go to the fields and dig wells. That doesn't work. He pitches his tent farther. And he's getting farther and farther away from the city and worldliness and all those pagan influences. And the farther he gets away from all those bad influences and people that don't like him, the better his life gets. Hmm, maybe we could make a point out of that. I'll, let, I'll leave that to you. Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham and his father, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. So what is he doing? He's going back to those old wells, those old sources of water where his father got that water for his flocks and no doubt Isaac and the family and he has to dig them over new again. This is something that has fallen to me, and it'll fall to my son. And should the Lord tarry, it'll fall to our grandkids. They'll have to dig their own wells. 
You've got to dig sweat, labor, work to get that living water. Now, I'm not saying anything. I don't want you to get a weird doctrine, okay? If you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved and you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. But you know, anybody who's walked with Christ any length of time knows the devil's not going to leave it like that. He's going to work you. He's going to throw dirt in your well. And you've got to clean it out. You've got to keep it clean. You want good, fresh, living water. You're going to have to do the work yourself. Your daddy can't do it for you. Your neighbor can't do it for you. Your pastor can't do it for you. You got to dig your own well. And if you're sitting here and your happy's broke and you're thinking, man, where's that fresh living water? Well, get a shovel. Dig in. Read. Pray. Get some of the good word. Get some of the sunshine. And dig your own well. Well, he does this, okay? Isaac dug again the wells of water, which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father, for the Philistines stopped them up. After the death of Abraham, he called on the names, the wells by the names his father called them. Also, okay, so more wells Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there, an artesian spring known as living water, sparkling water, not stagnant, but just it's gushing. It's coming up out of the ground. They, they tapped down into the point and it just started coming out. This is the best of all, just living water. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen saying, the water's ours. It wasn't until Isaac dug it out of the ground, nobody had it, okay? He put the effort in, but now they want it. So he called the name of the well Essek because they quarreled with him. Essek means quarreling or strife. So that's the well where we fight. We argue with the world. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So they called its name Sitna, which means enmity or contention. And so now they're having water wars, right? It's common in Bedouin society, and these guys lived in tents. They had herds. You could go into a, a, a camp, and they will happily give you milk to drink, to slake your thirst, because they got lots of milk. They got lots of cattle. They got lots of sheep and goats. A cup of water is a different thing. Mark Twain has this quip that he's kind of known for. He says, you know, Whiskey's for drinking, water's for fighting over. And those of us that live in an agricultural community in a desert recognize the, the significance of water and water wars and how that can make or break you. You can break your happiness, right? And so they're having contention. Verse 22, and he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, so he called its name Rehoboth. Because he said, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. Rehoboth means spacious or roomy. So now he's finally got a well where there's no contention, there's no strife, there's no battling for that water, and he can just spread out. But what did he have to do to get there? He had to leave town, he had to pitch his tent outside, dig a well, get in a fight, dig another well, get in another fight, till he finally got to a place all by his lonesome out there where he could spread out and have room. Christian, a lot of times that's how it's going to be from, with us. When we separate from that world that we found ourselves almost trapped in, you, you, you really have to take multiple steps quite often. 
and you're still going to church and you're still getting the living water and you're praying and you're hearing from God and you're reading and you're serving God and you get Jesus stories and you're so excited and that old crowd of people just keeps throwing dirt on your happy. What do you do? You just move away, dig some more and keep doing it until finally you find that place. And this is one of the ways God often moves us into the place He wants us is we, we, we're just thirsting for that living water, and we just won't quit till we get it. And that's what happened with Isaac. It says in verse 23 that he went up from there to Beersheba. We remember this is a well that Abraham dug. Then they brought out, he brought out the seven ewe lambs to Abimelech, and, and he says, what are those lambs for? This is a sign of the oath. We're going to offer these as a sacrifice, and that's why it's called Beer Sheba. Beer means well. Sheba means seven or oath, that we make a promise that this is my well, okay? And so now, verse 23, they went up from there to Beer Sheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and Isaac's servants dug a well. A beautiful thing. God meets him. Finally, God's brought him back, back to Beersheba, back to the well of the oath, of the promise back to the place where God poured His blessing onto Abraham, and now He can pour His blessing onto His son. And, you know, as parents, often we watch our children struggling, and we want to, you know, we want to help them, you know? We want to, let me, let me do this for you, let me do that for you. And, and truly, a lot of times the best thing you can do is let them struggle until they have come to the same place you found where you meet with Jesus. And then they start having that living relationship like you have. And this is where God now speaks to Isaac. He hears him clearly and he gives him this blessing. And it's, I love 25, he built an altar there. And this is, and it, it, it's typical of our Christian walk. It, Isaac kind of typifies what life is like for us. We go from altar to altar to altar. What's an altar? An altar is just a place where they would pull a group of stones together, and then offer an animal as a sacrifice, and that would be a recognition of God's grace and favor in their life. And every time God would do a beautiful thing for them or, or give them a promise or answer a promise, they'd stop and build an altar, okay? But again, these aren't like formal chiseled out things. It's a pile of rock. They do their worship of the Lord, then they move on because there's more altars in your future. But you always remember to stop and give thanks and recognize from whence your help comes, okay? That it's God who's pouring these blessings on you. He built an altar. He called on the name of the Lord. Personal relationship with God. Not just Elohim, the God, but Yahweh, a personal God that he knew, he walked with, he talked with, he heard, he obeyed, he would see his fingerprints. And he, he called on his name, and he pitched his tent there. He didn't build a castle, right? 
He just pitched his tent. His life was nomadic. He's moving on. He wasn't of this world, okay? He was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. And so our life is quite often like that. It's funny how sometimes we'll go through a very difficult time, like he just did, quarreling with all of the servants of Abimelech and digging the wells. You finally get to a peaceful, happy place. Things seem to be good, and you say, this is it. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to build my castle here. This is the place I want to be. Well, I don't blame you for wanting to be there. I want to be here. I often share with people. They say, well, I haven't had this question for a while, so somebody you can ask me this week, but um, are you going to stay? For the first five years I was here, people kept asking, are you going to stay? Because the pattern is pastors come and pastors go and people are just moving along and and I, I said then, and I still have to say now, as long as the Lord allows me to be here, I will be here. But should the Lord call me, I'm leaving. And I hope that doesn't discourage you. I would pray it encourages you that each and every one of us should be yielded to the Holy Spirit. I don't have any premonition right now at this point I'm going anywhere. I'm planting plants this week in my yard. I've planted orchards. Why do you plant trees if you don't expect to eat the fruit someday? I put my roots here. I love it here. I would love this to be my launch into eternity. I, I'm happy right here. I can stay here forever. But I do know, should the day come and I hear a call, I live in a tent. And it's easy just to strike stakes, pull up cords, and move on to where God would have me next. You do know we are leaving. None of us are going to stay here forever. You do know that, right? Don't, don't get so much like Lot's wife when he said, you need to leave Sodom and Gomorrah, that she looked back with longing in her heart for all that she was leaving behind and became a pillar of salt. Just hold on to the gifts that God has loosely for you. Build the altars call on the name of the Lord, pitch your tent, and dig a well. It's all right. While you're there, get busy. Produce something. Bring forth life. You know, it's not just for you. It benefits everybody, and it will even benefit generations to come. Should the Lord tarry and I don't go in the rapture, I pray that what we're doing as a fellowship here is a blessing to our children and our children and our children. There's that song that we sing, right? That, that we recognize that it's not about me. It's about bringing glory to God that other people might enjoy the blessings I have. So verse 26, Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, one of his friends, and Phicol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? Good question. What are you doing here? Man, I moved all the way back here trying to get away from you and all the quarreling, and now you're coming after me. What's the dealio? But they said, we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you and since we have done nothing to you but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now blessed of the Lord. Before, they thought it was a bad deal. But when he moved away, guess what else went away? All those wells he was digging. 
It's like, wow, when you were around, we were getting a lot of water. <laughs> you know, we could be buddies again. I'd like some of that. Did anybody give testimony to some of your friends when you walked away from the Lord and they laughed at you and they mocked you and they put dirt on your happy? That the day comes when they come knocking on your door and they say, man, we could use some of that happy again. It's a cool thing. So, but nevertheless, maybe their motives aren't right, but it's showing and they do say, and this is a public declaration, you are blessed of the Lord. That's great when the world says that about you. Even though they may not be walking with him, they do recognize that he is working in your behalf. Verse 30, so, they made, so he made them a feast and they ate and drank and they arose early in the morning and swore an oath with one another and Isaac sent them away and departed from him in peace. It came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about a well which they had dug and said to him, we have found water. Isn't that fun? Isn't that cool? Right? He goes out, he does the right thing, not knowing what the day would bring at the end of the day. He just blesses these people that are coming looking for a blessing. It would have been really easy for him to just say, you know, why don't you guys just skedaddle on back? But no, he prepares a feast. He blesses them. He welcomes them. He's not bitter. And at the end of the day, how does it end? More water, more good news, and more grace from God. So he called it Sheba. That's the name of Beersheba, the town he lived in. And this is Sheba in honor of the promise that God made his father Abraham and made him that if you will stand in the land, stay in the land, I will bless you. I will make a promise. I will make an oath. And there he is doing all the things God told him to do. Everybody's recognizing God's grace in his life. Another well comes online. He names it after the promise that God gave him. He's the God of the promises. Um, so he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. And this is one of the southernmost cities in Israel. You can visit it today. And uh, it's, it's down in the Negev, in the desert, on the way down towards uh, Egypt. Verse 34. And this is kind of just a parenthetical throwaway. It's going to come back into play, but let's just take a second. When Esau was 40 years old, so we've ha we talked all about Isaac. Now we're going to talk about Esau for a minute. When Esau was 40 years old, he took wives, Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, and Basimath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they were grief of mind to Isaac and Rebekah. Not the good story. It's a little couple warped threads have appeared in our story here. And what's happening here is Esau is now going out and marrying the local girls, the Canaanite girls, the Hittite girls, the sons of Heth. And this is something that God had cursed. If you remember all the way back in Genesis chapter 9, verse 25, when Noah came off the ark and Ham looked upon him in his uh, state of embarrassment. And, and so Noah pronounced a curse on the grandson of Ham, Canaan, okay, and that you will be cursed and you'll be a servant to your brothers and they were not to intermingle, intermarry with these Canaanites, okay? 
Um, they had a curse on them. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, as we see, they've got a blessing on them. But, and again, it's a, it's a lesson for us, um, Esau didn't care for the things of the Lord. And so he goes outside of God's will. And what does it do? It brings grief to the family, right? Just dysfunction. Again, we don't need to go into too much detail. It will come up again. Now, chapter 26 has got a lot of the warp, a lot of the sin strings running through it. Chapter 27, believe it or not, has a lot of the woof or weft, a lot of the thread of Jesus Christ tying it all together. But it is on the loom of life. It's got some messed up stuff in it. Where's our time right now? Oh, boy. I'm not going to be able to go as far as I hope to today. We'll jump in and see how far we get. Now it came to pass, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim, so he could not see, that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered and said, Here I am. Then he said, Behold, now I am old and I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons and quiver your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and make me savory food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. This is scene one of a five-scene play. And in this, Isaac says he's now old, okay? He's probably about 140. He maybe has cataracts. His eyesight's getting dim. He wants to bless Esau. Now, if you remember from chapter 25, verse 23, God told Rebekah when the two children were in her womb that the older was going to serve the younger. But here, Isaac is going to try to reverse what God has already ordained. Now, everybody in this chapter is going to be guilty of taking matters into their own hands. Where have we seen that before? <laughs> Abraham and his maidservants and all different kinds of stuff, right? These patterns. But in the pattern, don't miss that thread that God ties it all together. So make me some delicacies and bring it back and we're going to have a big old feast and I'm just going to lay a blessing on you. Verse 5, now when Rebekah was listening, when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went into the field to hunt game and bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, here I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me that I may eat and bless it in the presence of the Lord before my death. A little bit of a key there. She does add, in the presence of the Lord. Um, Isaac is planning on giving him the inheritance, okay? He already got the birthright, so to speak, when he traded for a bowl of beans, if you remember that chapter, and now he wants the blessings. And so uh, she, she says, verse 8, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring for me two choice kids of the goats. I will make a savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him. His name means deceiver, but... And I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go. Get them for me. 
And he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were on with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids on the goats on his hands and on a smooth part of his neck. Then she gave the savory food and the bread, which she had prepared, into the hand of his son Jacob. Okay, so now, another major player, Rebekah, Isaac's wife. Remember, don't forget, who, where did, where did uh, Abraham get a bride for Isaac? Do you remember? From the relatives in Haran. And do you remember Rebekah's brother's name? That's Laban. If it doesn't mean anything to you now, Hang around. It will in a couple more chapters. Laban is double the trickster, deceiver, heel catcher as Jacob is. But she's the brother of Laban. She's picked up a couple tricks along the way. And she's now trying to reverse her husband, reversing God's will for their kids. And we know there's favoritism going on here. Isaac likes Esau. Rebecca likes Jacob. And so it's, it's messed up. Okay, it's warped, okay? It's verse 18. So he went to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise and sit and eat of my game, that your soul may be blessed me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God brought it to me. Two lies already. For starters, he says, I'm your son. And now he's blaming God and saying, God, help me bring this game back quickly. He's deceptive. Verse 21, then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you're really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Then he said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. He said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, and now he's going to give the blessing to Jacob that he wanted to give to Esau. Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of earth, and of plenty of grain and wine. The Lord bless you and prosper you. Let the people serve you. The nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Oops, he just fulfilled the prophecy he's trying to thwart in that the younger would rule over the elder. And he finally says, cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. The Abrahamic covenant that you'll be a father of many nations and a blessing to the world. And he gives this prophecy, this blessing of prosperity and preeminence and protection to his deceptive son. Verse 30, now it happened, this is scene four. Um, it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and Jacob scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. This is a movie. This is a DVD you want to rent when you get to heaven. He also had made the savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? So he said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Esau, Isaac 
trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him. And indeed, he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great cry and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob, deceiver? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he's taken away my blessing. The birthright is that present position. It's to be the position of the firstborn, and the firstborn has rule. But the blessing is a promise of possessions yet to come. So he's got the birthright in the here and now, and then he's got the blessing of future uh, benevolence from the Lord coming his way. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob, for he supplanted me these two times? He took away my birthright, and look, he's taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Well, why would he? He thought he just gave it to him. Why, why would he save anything? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all his brethren have given to him his servants with grain and wine. I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, oh, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. Not a bad start. By your sword you shall live. Okay, you're going to have to live by bloodshed. And you shall serve your brother. That's not good at all. But at least he's alive. And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck. Not a great blessing, but nevertheless something that we see fulfilled in history. And it comes on down through the line of the Edomites, even up to the King Herod in the New Testament. Uh, verse 41. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Okay. It's gone from bad to worse. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise and flee to my brother Laban in Haran. You need to get out of Dodge or you're going to die. Verse 44, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away. It's going to be 21 years. Until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him, then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved of you also in this one day? Sad to say she's never going to call for him because she's going to die when he goes away. Her scheming and her plotting means that she's going to lose her son. She'll never see him again. And Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. Remember, we read that at the end of the last chapter. Esau married these Canaanite gals and it was causing grief. And so now she goes to her husband and says, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these who are daughters of the land, what good would my life be to me? What she's doing is she's scheming and plotting and planning. This is another way to get Jacob out of the household. Send him away so he doesn't marry a Canaanite. Send him back to my family where he can get somebody from our lineage. And quickly, I'm going to finish up. 
because this is, it doesn't end right there, even though your Bible probably has a 28 somewhere on that part of the thing. It wasn't in the Bible. That was put there by men. The story goes on. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And now he blesses him as he should have in the first place, according to the will of God, the plan of God that God laid out when the babies were still in the womb. And now Isaac, having seen that everything he's trying to do wrong keeps getting turned around to God's way now he gets on God's wagon and goes God's way okay he says may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger which God gave to Abraham so Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Badanaram to Laban the son of Bethuel the Syrian the brother of Rebekah the mother of Jacob and Esau and finally, verse 6, worship team, come on up. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padanaram to take himself a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. So Esau's observing all this. He's got anger and bitterness in his heart, and he's, he's wanting to kill his brother, but then he sees his brother get this monster blessing. He comes in, don't you have a little blessing for me? Well, okay, I'll throw you a crumb. And then Isaac turns around and doubles down on the blessing he gave uh, to Jacob and gives him this beautiful, beautiful blessing. And Esau is watching all this. It's like, I married these Canaanite women, and I'm a grief to my family, and I don't care about the birthright, and I didn't get the blessing, and Isaac gets all this stuff. My father's getting on board with the plan of God. Okay, I'll get on board with the plan of God. And so Esau, uh, verse 8, saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael. Abraham's brother, remember, went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebosheth, to be the wife in addition to the wives he had. Trying to, trying to make peace. Okay, look, I married a good one. Okay, I got one from the family line. Is that all right? Are you happy with me now? It's kind of like a day late, a dollar short. It's trying to please his father um, but too late. It's like closing the barn door after the horse has already got out. It's just that ship sailed, Esau. Sorry. In all of this, I'm just going to wrap it up then really quick. What are we talking about here? A lot of dysfunctional families, a lot of warped threads in the story. But in all of it, God takes what the enemy meant for evil and he turns it for good. These are the last verses of the book of Genesis. It's going to happen to Joseph again with his brothers. And finally, his brother's going to come and visit. He says, what you meant to me for evil, God has turned it to good for the salvation of many. And just know this, that God works all things together for good. Not to Esau, to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The scripture says, and this is a kind of a harsh note to end on, but the scripture says, Jacob, I have loved. Esau, I have hated. Why did God 
hate Jacob? Because God knows the end from the beginning. He knew the days of his life before he was even fashioned in his mother's womb. He knew Jacob would receive him. He knew Esau would reject him. And that's something on the table for each one of us this morning. Do we despise our birthright? Do we, do we despise the blessings of God? Or are we those people that have heard his call and we recognize it's my turn to step up. It's my turn to dig a well. It's my turn to build an altar. It's my turn to take the torch and carry it on to the next generation and be that Jacob, even by hook or crook, even in his flesh, even in his sinful nature. And it sounds a lot like me. He still wanted the things of God. I'm a sinner, saved by grace. But oh, I want God's blessing. I want God's blessing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you that you've given us your word, that your light shines off of the pages and into our hearts, that it, it fixes our happy. It restores the joy of our salvation, that we come to you, a fountain of living water, and we drink and never thirst again. Help us, Lord, to take these stories and recognize that while these people are imperfect, you make us perfect. I pray that we, as we go into this next month, into the Easter season, and talk about your resurrection, your victory over the grave and death and sin, and we look at a world that the news is swirling with darkness and hopelessness, that we would be people that God are happy on. Help us, Lord, to recognize every single day is a gift from you. Rise up and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.